Father, we've come to the time in this service now when we bow in your presence and open the book of life. We realize, O oh Lord, that it is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We know that in its unsearchable riches there is advice for living. Now I pray that you would touch us today, O oh Lord, as we mine the riches of the glorious gospel of Christ. And let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to read verse 1 through 4, and we're going to talk today about earnestly contending for the faith. We know that these are exasperating times, desperate times. These are perilous times, the Bible calls them, which means dangerous. I was looking this last week, Debbie, and I were sitting listening to news, and uh, it seemed as if our nation is in some kind of stupor, some kind of a chloroform that has pulled us away from logic and reason and, and right thinking. It, it seems like there is an assault of the devil, an attack on uh, our culture and our school system. It is amazing what uh, our children and our schools are being exposed to now. Some things very close akin to pornography are being given to your children in second grade and seven-year-olds that are being challenged as to their uh, identity, their sexual orientation, and uh, are being asked by uh, uh, officials, that, uh, or do you sometimes feel like you ought to be a girl, or do you sometimes feel like you ought to be a man? And there are even people that are at work right now actively pursuing uh, that, that issue and doing mastectomies on children. Uh, at, at, that's actually true. And uh, parents are being arrested who don't recognize the sexual orientation and sexual identity of their children. They're being arrested, handcuffed, and taken to jail and charged with child abuse. Now, you may just sit there and shrug that off and just say, well, I, it's probably somewhere else. I got nothing to do with me. Well, I want to tell you, it has everything to do with you. I said it has everything to do with you. Because if the Bible teaches us anything, it teaches us to take a stand for what is right and what is just and what is pure and what is holy. Amen. And I am... I sound a little disturbed this morning, it's because I am. I am disturbed. I don't like the way this nation is going. And I don't like the things that are being propagated in legislature and people saying we don't need the Bible and we don't need your religion and calling people who contend for old-fashioned uh, morals and moral decency, calling them old fogey and calling them uh, fundamental. Well, I am fundamental. I believe in the fundamentals of the Christian faith. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in blood atonement. I believe in the physical return of the Lord Jesus. I believe in a bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I believe in sanctification, subsequent cleansing. I believe that holiness is God's standard of living for His people. I believe those things, and I'm going to earnestly contend for them until I die. As long as I preach and there's a pulpit to preach in, I'll preach that till I die. 
Amen. Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. To earnestly contend for the faith. And it is important who preaches to you, how they live, and what they preach to you. Amen. There are people that really don't like the fact that you say amen to me preaching. We had some guy come through here one time that, that uh, you know, one of my big amenners here is Carlos. Everybody knows that. He loves to say amen. He loves to say hallelujah. Preach it, pastor. Amen. And uh, some, somebody went to him. This has been years ago. If I'd have known it, I'd have kicked him out earlier. Went to him and said, don't you know you're disturbing? You need to keep your mouth shut and be quiet. Carlos told, me, Carlos told me about that. I said, no, you don't need to be quiet. And you don't need to sit I said, send them to me. When they come to you with that kind of stuff, send them to me. Send them to me. Had a little old lady in my church in Tuscaloosa. Her name was Sister Hankins. Bless her heart. She said, Dave, she didn't know half of what I said anyway. But she hollered amen to everything I said. And she was one of those old-fashioned folks that felt like you ought to shout a little bit, you know, if you got happy in the Lord. She would have been shouting at your singing this morning. She'd have been right out there in that middle aisle. Somebody came to him and said, why don't you t tell Sister Hankins' family to sit her down? I said, well, are you out of your mind? I said, what she's doing is what I'm trying my dead level best to get the rest of you to do. Sit her down. Lord, no, I'm not going to sit her down. Get you up is what I'm trying to do. Amen. Why this attack against what we have always canceled culture? Is that what they call it? That anything that is old, anything that's traditional, anything that's been a long time in existence, you just uh, throw, throw that away. Get rid of that. Well, I want to tell you, the Bible said, seek and ask for the old paths. Wherein there is a good way. And when you find it, the Bible said, walk in it. Don't throw it in the trash can. Don't criticize it and throw rocks at it. Walk in it. The question, we told you, I've preached here about us being winners. We know we're winners, don't we? We know that we're conquerors, more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. We know that we always triumph in the Lord Jesus. And we know that he always causes us to win. Those are all scriptures. We know we're winners. How does a winner survive in today's culture? And how does a, a winner respond when you come under attack for what you believe? And I want to tell you, between now and Rapture Day, you're going to come into question about what you believe. What you believe. Those things that we believe according to our gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, this is Paul writing to a beleaguered church, a church that had problems, a church that had all kinds of difficulties, and not only all of that teamed with false teachers. There was a group of people called Judaizers who went behind Paul undoing all the gospel preaching that he could do. He would get people saved. You know what he said he preached? He said, I preach Christ and the resurrection. I preach Christ. Somebody say, and the resurrection. And the resurrection. Why is he so dogmatic 
about preaching about the resurrection. You say, well, I thought dogmatic was a negative term. No, dogmatic is good if it's for the right thing. You know, if I'm going to have surgery, do you know what kind of a surgeon I want to operate on me? A dogmatic one. If I'm going to get in a plane and fly over the Atlantic to London, what kind of a pilot do you think I want to fly that plane? I want a dogmatic one that checks everything, that's so meticulous about everything. Hey, say what you will, a dogmatic is not that bad a thing. There's some people I'm glad they are. You better be glad I am because I'm dogmatic about the Bible as God's inerrant, infallible, holy word. That heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will not pass. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. The gospel which I preached to you is a saving gospel, he said. That gospel that I preached to you is a faithful gospel. That gospel that I preached to you is a Christ-centered gospel. That gospel that I preached to you is a, is a sin uh, blotting out, a, a, a sin dealing gospel that does away with all of those things that the devil would use against you. He said that gospel that I preached is a deliverance gospel. And he said that gospel, listen to it in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 1 through 4. He said the gospel I declare which I preached unto you. Number two, which you received. I didn't just preach it, you received it. Now, there have been some times I've kind of wondered if folks received it or not. I preached it. I don't know if they received it. That's up to every person that's sitting here today. Amen. I've, I've walked out of this pulpit a lot of times and said, had folks to say to me, well, one sister years ago, well, I'll tell you, it was Faye. She said to me, says, Pastor, I believe that's the best sermon I've ever heard you preach. She tells me that every Sunday, so uh, I do the, that every Sunday. I, I believe that was so good. I just enjoyed that so much. And I'll take two or three steps and somebody's like, you little squirt. <laughs> Actually, I had a woman walk up to me right after she told me that was the best message I'd ever. A little woman walked up to me and said, you little squirt. <laughs> said, who set you up to preach to me today? I said, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. Did you feel like I'm, I was preaching at you? I, I don't know a thing in the world about you. I have no idea what you're even talking about. Oh, yes, you do. You were too exact for somebody not to have told you all about me. We got home. We were sitting at the dining room table, and, and uh, we were all sitting there and eating, and that's when Rachel was young. And you know Rachel, she's dangerous. I said, you know what? There was a lady told me today that I was a little squirt. And uh, Rachel said, what is that? I said, I have no idea. I think she meant it in a negative way. Rachel went and got a dictionary. And she comes into the dining room and she says, Daddy, you know what a skirt, squirt is? I said, no, but I'm dying to know. Tell me. She said, it's a drip under pressure. <laughs> you little squirt. So 
Don't expect everybody in the house to receive it. You preach it, you don't know if everybody receives it. He said, the gospel which I preached and which you received, listen to that, wherein ye stand. Have you ever thought about taking a stand in the gospel? Taking a stand in the preached word of God? Take a stand in that? The gospel wherein you stand. That gospel that I first preached to you, that gospel that I preached about getting liberated and delivered and set free from Satan's power, said you stand in that. Don't be moved from that. Stand in it. Wherein you stand, and listen, and wherein ye are saved. Goodness, look at verse 2. By which also you are saved if you keep in memory what I preach to you. Unless you have believed in vain. You have believed in vain. I preached one time about don't waste your grace. Don't waste your grace. That's believing in vain. Lord, I don't want to be accused of believing in vain. I want to live by the grace of God, giving glory to God. Amen. In the right kind of a way. So that when I come to the end of the way, the Lord can look at my life and he can say, well done. I tell you sometimes around here, I may not hear him say, well done, but I sure want to hear him say, well tried. Well tried. It's imperative that we, by the grace of God, look at verse 10 then, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. The grace of God, I am what I am. He gives us the whole gospel that was preached, what he preached. I'm interested to know what he preached. If I stand in it and I'm saved in it, I need to know what he preached. Look there at verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Hey, brother, one of the fundamentals of the Christian faith is that Jesus died for lost people. Romans 5 and 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if when you were enemies against God, Christ died for us, that he tore down that middle wall of partition that had us separated from our God. He tore it down. That meant we who were afar off have been made nigh by the blood of his cross. That because the Lord Jesus came into this world and died a sacrificial death, hallelujah, and died for the sins of the whole world, he has made a way. He's bridged the chasm. He has spanned the impasse. And he's given us a relationship with God whereby we cry here, Abba, Father. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God, the daughters of God, the people of God. And this is what the people of God believe. One, Jesus died for lost people. Paul said this is a, a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Jesus said, I am come to seek and to save that which is lost. The sinner's best friend is the Lord Jesus Christ. And greater love hath no man than this, that he would give his life and lay down his life for a friend. That's the gospel, folks. 
the gospel. But there's one more element of that, wherein we stand, wherein we're saved. I delivered to you that gospel first that said Christ died for our sins. Second, he was buried. And third, that he rose again on the third day. Listen, according to the scriptures. According to the scriptures, Jesus came. According to the scriptures, Jesus died. According to the scriptures, Jesus was buried. According to the scriptures, Jesus was raised from the dead. Why is that so important? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, this same chapter, he said, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, then how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And here we get the first hint of the apostatizing that was going on in Corinth. These Judaizers had come behind the apostle Paul and started preaching another gospel. Another gospel. A gospel that wasn't based upon the fact that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, ascended to the Father. They said that's not happened yet. And they were teaching the people. And the Bible said, and they overthrew the faith of some. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean there was some that departed from the faith. That quit believing what they had always believed. Quit believing what Paul preached that brought about their salvation. Quit believing what Paul preached about Jesus dying for sinners. Quit believing about being saved if you keep in memory what I preached. What happened, Pastor? They believed a lie. They believed a lie. Now, I want to tell you there's power in a lie. The Bible said there's so much power in a lie that it would deceive the very elect if it were possible. There's so much power in a lie that it can kill a church. There's so much power in a lie that it can destroy a family. There's so much power in a lie that it can stop anything dead in its tracks. A lie has a lot of power, but there's one thing that's greater than a lie. The Bible said there is a man who is a lie, and he's the father of lies, and the Bible said he is Satan himself. He is a liar, and he's the father of lies. All he can do is murder and kill and destroy and deceive and ruin. And today, for every one of you in this house, his goal is to devise schemes and devices where he could ruin families and ruin reputations and ruin churches and ruin all kinds of relationships. And his way of going about that is by lying. Lies. Jesus said, but don't be afraid of him. Don't be afraid of what he conjures up. We're not ignorant concerning Satan's devices, the Bible said. The Bible says that he has worked on all of these devices to, to destroy the, the righteous. But the Bible says, but greater is he. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he that called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Greater is he who put you... Uh, in the ministry and put you in the pew to worship as a worshiper. Blessed is that person whose God is the Lord. Blessed is that person who has made himself such a, a vessel to let God's 
good grace and God's good power flow through. And let's not be moved from that by which you were saved, which you keep in memory. Christ died for our sins, buried, rose again. But the grace of God is what made all of that happen. Colossians 1 and 27. This is powerful right here. Put your shouting shoes on. You're going to need them. Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery is among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Is Christ in any of you? Oh, I can't hear you. Is Christ in any of you? Yes, he is. Yes, he abides, he abides. He said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, then ask what you will and it shall be done. Oh, what a Savior to whom be God would make known the riches of the glory of Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we, number one, preach. Are you reading it with me? Whom we, number one, preach. We preach Jesus. Number two, we warn every man. Now, most people don't like warning preaching. What is that warning preaching? It means you better quit your rat-killing ways. That's what warning preaching is. And he said we do that for every man whom we preach, warning every man. What do we warn them about? Pastor, the Bible said, great is the terror of the Lord. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. You see, salvation is not just a whimsical thing. It's a, it's a very, very important, permanent thing in your life. Amen. You can't afford to be lackadaisical about salvation. You can't uh, afford to be noncommittal about salvation. And he says our preaching must have some element of warning. Paul said we warn those that are of the uncircumcision that they're going to be judged one day for their unbelief. For their unbelief. Listen, we've got to come to the knowledge that we know that what we believe is true because it's God's Word based on the Bible, based on what God's Word says. And I need to tell you, this book says there's a place called heaven. But it also says there's a place called hell. It also says there's a judgment. Oh, I don't like my preacher to preach about those things, Brother Jerry. Well, your preacher is not a man of God if he's not telling you what that book says about every subject that's in that book. Doesn't back off from any of it. Just says this is what the Word of God says. And the truth is, if you don't know the Lord Jesus, you're going to stand before him one day. It's called a great white throne judgment. And the thing about it is the, the books, the Bible said, and the books were there. There's 67 of them. You call it your Bible. And they're there. What are the Bible books doing at judgment? They're actually a counterbalance. What do you mean? 
He said, and the dead were judged out of those things that were written in the books. Are you kidding me? That these 67 books we call the Bible will be at judgment and I will be judged out of what's written in these pages of these 67 books? Do you believe that? Kind of halfway? Sort of? I'm telling you, that's exactly what it says. And the best friend you've got, I said the best friend you've got is the one that will tell you what that book says right there. Amen. Every bit of it. Not hiding any of it, but all of it. That's in Revelation chapter 20. You can read all about that. Listen, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said we preach, we warn, and third, we teach every man in all wisdom that we may, fourthly, present every man perfect in Christ. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. So then the role of every pastor, the role of every Christian worker, the role of every Sunday school teacher, of every devotional provider, everyone, the goal is this, to use ministry gifts to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And perfect there means mature. It doesn't mean without any kind of fault. It means mature. So then when you hear a sermon on Sunday morning, the ultimate goal is that you get better and that you get more experience and that you have more of the Spirit and that you gain in knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. That's the goal. Why? Because it gets you going toward maturity. Why is it important that I grow up in the Spirit? 1 Timothy 4 and 6. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. Hey, I love a good minister, don't you? He said if you're a good minister, you put people in remembrance of what the Bible says. Amen. You're always telling people what the Bible says. Put people in remembrance. And he said, you'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine whereunto thou hast attained. Now listen to those two adjectives, faith and good doctrine. Good doctrine. Every sermon ought to be chocked full of faith-building information from God's Word. And every sermon ought to be chocked full of the doctrine of Christ. What do you mean the doctrine of Christ? What we basically believe about who Jesus is and what Jesus did and where he is and wh what's going to happen in the future. That's the doctrine, the basic doctrine. And the Bible said it shall come to pass in the last days that they will not endure sound doctrine. but shall heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears and shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. 
Is that not what it says? But it said, but watch in all things. Endure affliction. Do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. God wants us to communicate the Word of God in a faith-building, doctrinal way. 2 Timothy 4 and 3, that time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. 2 John 1 and 9, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. Now, I don't write this stuff. I just preach it. Is that what it says? Whosoever transgresseth. What is transgress? That's to break the law of God. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. Abideth not in the doctrine of Christ. He hath not God. I love it. The milk commercial that says, got milk? Sometimes I just want to walk up to somebody and say, got Jesus? Got, got Jesus? The Bible said, he that hath the Son hath everlasting life. He that hath not the Son shall not see life. People ask me, Brother Jerry, you believe that people can go to hell? Well, the Bible tells us yes. Well, why do you think they go? There's only one reason why anybody goes to hell. Only one. Got it? What is it, Brother Jerry? He that hath not Jesus. He that hath not the Son shall not see life. He that hath the Son he that has Jesus, you'll get this in a minute. If you've got Jesus, then heaven is your final home. If you've got Jesus, then the blood of Christ is on your soul. If you've got Jesus, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. If you've got Jesus, you're just waiting on the trumpet to go home to be with the Lord. If you've got Jesus, he that hath the Son hath everlasting life, and he that hath not the Son shall not see life. To every pastor, those words just, just chill my heart sometimes. God, have I, got a, have I got enough doctrine in this? Have I got enough faith in this? Have I, have I got it just exactly like you want me to say it? Because you see, if I don't preach it to you, like God gives it to me. He said, Charles, that blood would drip from my hands. And he said, if you see that the enemy is coming in, when from your place as a watchman, as a shepherd, and you watch and you see that the enemy is approaching, and you don't warn my people, Is that what it says, Brother Ford? You've been preaching this 60 years. Is that what it says? If you're on the wall, you're a watchman on the wall, and you see the enemy coming, and you don't tell my people and warn my people, then he said, I will require. I'll require 
their blood at your hands. So I'm preaching to Jerry Irwin this morning, and I'm telling you, you better preach it. I'm preaching to Jerry Irwin saying, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Be set for the defense of the gospel. These are the things we believe most surely among us. Stand and take a stand for those things. And then the Bible says to a caring bishop in Titus 1 and 9, holding fast the faithful word which has been taught. Holding fast. They're not good words. Holding fast. It, it, it has the sense that you're falling off a cliff and somebody throws you a rope. Holding fast. Brother, you're not going to turn loose of that rope for anything in the world. If anything, you're going to grip it as tight as you can. You're going to hold on to it. And you'll fight anybody that take, takes it away from you. Holding fast. Holding fast to what? Holding fast to that faithful word that has been taught and that has been preached to you that he may be able by the means of sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. What's he saying? He's saying the best weapon you've got against false teachers that are teaching that the resurrection is past already. The best thing you got is take the gospel like it is in its truth. And the lie that is in their false doctrine will run from the truth of God's word. You see, the enemy of every falsehood is the truth. The truth. The truth does not need anything to prop it up. The truth doesn't need anything to push it and stand for it and balance it. No, it stands on its own. Lies, you got to prop them up. Lies, you got to support it with all kind of other lies. But the truth shall set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The truth as it is in Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the light. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you believe in me, even if you're dead, you shall live again. Because if you're in me and I'm in you and we're in God, then all of us are going to be glorified with the Lord Jesus and presented perfect in his presence and in his crowning day, the crowning of the Lord Jesus. Exhort and convince the gainsayers. In other words, it'll either turn some disbelievers into believers. You see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, 13 through 16, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. What's he saying? That the success of all these teachers and preachers and folks that invest the Word of God in our life the wonderful blessing of all the people that sow seeds, gospel seeds, in all of our lives. He that goeth forth bearing precious seeds shall doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing in sheaves with him. Seed of the gospel has to be planted. It has to be planted. And that seed is very imperfect. He said, you come to the perfect man of the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we henceforth, look at that 14th verse, that we henceforth be no more children. 
And you know what that says to us? It says there are many people who have grown up in Christ and there are others who have grown old in Christ. There's a difference there. For me to grow up in Christ is to mature in Christ. To just chronologically add a year every 12 months. That's one kind of growth and I've done my share of those. Served my time. But to grow up in Jesus. To grow up in God. And that's what he's talking about. He said that we be no more children. Quit acting like a baby. Title of this sermon should have been, Be a man. Be a woman. Grow up in God. That you be no more children. Listen about children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to, to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. 1 Timothy 1.18. Come on, Mike, and play some music for me. They'll think I'm quitting. I don't see Olivia. She usually plays it. You got her coming? Usually when I say, come on, Olivia, around here, they know I'm about to quit. Still got several pages there. I'm sorry. Just kidding. 1 Timothy 1.18.19. This charge I commit to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 5. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of the Lord Jesus, by the coming of the Lord Jesus. Anybody looking for him? Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Verse 2 says, That ye be not soon shaken in your mind. That ye be not soon shaken in your mind. What does it mean, you reckon, to be shaken in your mind? It means you're wishy-washy and wobbly-legged and don't know what you believe. You're shaking. Not strong, not sound, but just kind of shaking a little bit. That you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That you be not soon shaken in your mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter from us. You see, what happened was there were a lot of these false teachers that found out if we send our erroneous gospel 
and write Paul's name on the end of it, it'll look like a letter that has been sent by us. Are you seeing that up there? Nod your head. Give me a Presbyterian amen. By letter as it were from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Wow, what they were saying was that the resurrection is past already. What they were saying was there is no more resurrection. Paul is telling you to look for the Lord Jesus to come. But so there's, that's not true. Don't believe Paul. Paul preaches in a resurrection. There is no resurrection from the dead. But if you'll go back to that 15th chapter, you'll go around, down to that ninth verse. And he says, why say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Why say that? Why, do you, why are you telling these people at Corinth that there is no resurrection from the dead? For if there be no resurrection, if the gainsayers are right, if the false teachers are right, listen to what it said, if there be no resurrection, then he said, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, our faith is vain. Our faith, we believed on God in vain. We've been tricked. We've been bamboozled. If what the false teachers is saying is true, then he said, all of the things that we believe about God and believe about the church and believe about the Bible are all just perished. If the gainsayers are true. If Christ be preached that he was raised from the dead. How say some among you there is no resurrection. For if Christ be not risen, then ye are yet in your sins. And we have preached that Christ raised him up, whom Christ raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. But then you get to the 12th verse. Somebody say 12th verse. 12th verse says, But now! But now! But now! Is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept? For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Glory to God. Go on down in that chapter and you'll find this. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel said we shall see Jesus. Just like you guys sung about. We shall see Jesus on the other side. These false teachers 
would say, you won't see Jesus. There's not a resurrection. And I would like to tell you that once people get to believe in the truth, they always believe the truth. You know, the Bible says in Matthew, I'd have to look my, my notes better, but in Matthew, the Bible said that these, this church at Corinth wasn't the only one that ever had trouble believing Jesus was raised from the dead. You know, every Easter and every Christmas, it seems, the documentary people get going, trying to prove that Jesus was just an ordinary man, that he lived and he died, somebody stole his body, or somebody took him away, the disciples got him, or those women did something with him. But there is no resurrection. There was no Easter Sunday morning where Jesus come out and the angel rolling stone away. That's a bunch of hoopla. You don't need to believe that stuff. That's just something these Christians limp around on their crutch with. You don't need to believe that stuff. You see, there's all of these folks that hates the truth of God's Word that will try to dismantle what God's Word says. They'll come at you with stories. Like, you believe those creation stories? You believe that God really just, this supreme sovereign being somewhere, just looked out into nothing and nowhere and just said, let there be, and there was? You believe that? You mean you really believe that God took the earth and he drew with his finger the boundaries of the seas and the oceans that he shaped and formed everything, that he created all the beings that are on the earth and that he took the earth and hung it out there in nothing and he gave it a spin so it would always sit there and said, stay there. And he backed off somewhere and looked at it and said, that's good. You mean you really believe? Yes, I believe that. You believe those children of Israel when they came out of Israel, got to that Red Sea, and the army of Pharaoh was coming in behind them, and they were pinned and, and all sides had no way to go. And you believe that God, that Moses took that rod out there and, and that that water started piling up and rolling back. And, and the Bible said those children of Israel crossed that Red Sea on dry ground. Do you really believe that? I, I don't know about a global flood. I just don't know about this thing of Noah and that ark and all of that. You're asking a lot, preacher, for me to believe a lot of those. You know, a lot of people, they'll believe in something if they can see it and touch it and handle it. I had one tell me one time, said, God will never do something that I can't understand. So, well, I need to inform you that most of what he does, I don't understand. Because my ways, my ways are not his ways. He's past finding out. He dwells in a life that no man can approach unto. He is God and beside him there is none other. No, I don't understand him. I won't understand him until one day I stand in his presence 
And until I get there, it's going to take faith to believe that God can do what he says he will do. That his word is true and it won't pass away. That God is powerful. He's all powerful. And he can do anything, even impossible things. Our God can do what God's word says he can do. Hallelujah. Well, give God a real good hand clap of praise. I'm about through, I promise. Thank you. When Jesus rose from the dead, he made 40 appearances. He appeared in Jerusalem, but he said to the women, said, you go and tell the disciples that I'm going down to Galilee and I'll meet them when I get down there. I'll meet them when I get down there. And he said, tell Peter to make sure that he shows up. He thinks I'm mad at him. But I'm not mad at him. Yeah, he had some faltering faith. He stumbled along when he should have stood firm and said he didn't know me when he really did know me and denied me, but said, I'm not mad at him. You tell him. When I get down there, I want to see him there. You, you make sure you tell Peter to show up. And the Bible said when Jesus appeared unto them that they were all astonished. And the Bible said, and they worshiped. Astonished and they worshiped. But then there's three little words on the end of that verse in Matthew. It says, But some doubted. But some doubted. Are you kidding me? Three years you followed this man around. You watched him as he spat on the ground. And he anointed the eyes of a blind man. And he went and washed and came back seeing. You watched him and you walked in at that, that side of him when he was over there at that pool. Of, and the, the multitude of people were in there. And he walked up to that gentleman and said, Do you want to walk? Do you want to get up and walk out of here? He said, Lord, I hadn't got anybody. He said, If thou wilt be made whole, arise, take up your bed and walk out of here. You mean you were there when that? Yeah, I was there. How about, hey, let's just get colossal. What about over at Lazarus' house at Bethany? Were you there that day? Oh, I sure was. My Lord Jesus hollered out and said, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what? He come walking out of that grave. And one of the disciples said, well, Dad, you, you, I was with him one day. We were over there at that little city called Nain, and there was a funeral procession came out, and a little boy had died, and I watched Jesus go over there and take him by the hand and said, you get up off of that casket. You get up and live and go home with your mother. And now you've come in here, and that Jesus is resurrected, and that Jesus is in your midst, and you're doubting. 
you're doubting. My Lord, I would have hate to have been there and said, I'm one of the doubters. Lord, I wouldn't have wanted to be a doubter. There's a great, great guy that had a moment of unbelief. His name is Thomas. And you only know him as Doubting Thomas. That label has been put on him. It'll go with him forever as long as people read the Bible. Doubting Thomas. But I need to tell you, Thomas had a comeback. I said he had a comeback. He just said, I, I won't believe until I can put my hand in his side and feel where the spear pierced it. I won't believe until I can put my hands in those nail prints. I won't believe until I can see. Jesus said, blessed art thou that you have seen and believed, but blessed are those that have not seen and they have not felt, but yet they still believe. They still believe. I think I'm preaching to some people this morning. You may not understand everything that God does. You may not know all about His will. And you may not know all about His way. And sometimes you just have to trust God. And sometimes you just have to put one foot in the front of the other foot and keep on going. Sometimes you just have to pray and say, God, give me enough grace to get through this. Sometimes you have to just... Go up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You may not have seen him. You may not have put your hand on him. But you can say, I believe in him because I know what he did for me. I realize what I used to be. And I know now what he's done for me. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. Stand with me all over this place. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I, I love preaching that stuff. I love preaching that stuff. The devil hates it because I preach that stuff. He'll beat on me the rest of the day for preaching that stuff. You'd have to be a preacher to know what I'm talking about. But I want to tell you this. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon. That the enemy shall fashion. He can stand at his anvil and beat on the chain and say that's the chain I'm going to bind that preacher up with. He can stand over there at his anvil and make his traps. That's where I'm going to snare that preacher. That's where I'm going to catch him. That's how I'm going to fool him. That's how I'm going to deceive him. That's how I'm going to get him. But God's word said no weapon. No weapon. No weapon. No weapon. Somebody say no weapon. Feel the Holy Ghost in this place. No weapon. Harvest no weapon. No weapon. Family and friends, no weapon. Satan may have threatened, made his boast, but I want to tell you, no weapon, no scheme, no device shall come nigh thy dwelling. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord. He that keepeth thee will neither slumber nor sleep. 
He will not allow the sun to smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Yea, he that keepeth thee shall neither slumber nor sleep. Oh, what a Savior. What a God. What a God. I want you to take the hand of that person beside you. You may not know what they're going through. You may not know what they've been through this week. You may not know what was going on at home when they left. You may not know the tidings. The Bible said, He that is blessed of God is not afraid when bad tidings come. Not afraid. Psalm 112. Not afraid. Not afraid when bad tidings come. You know why? For they know in whom they have believed. They know in whom they have believed. Do you know in whom you believe today? God, I pray for everybody in this house this morning. I pray for moms and dads. I pray for sisters and brothers. I pray for friends, mamas, granddaddies. Oh, Lord, this old world that we're living in is a place that's such a terrible, perilous place. But, God, we know that you promised that you would keep us by your power and you would sustain us with your right hand. The name of the Lord is a strong power and the righteous run into it and they're saved. God, I pray for everybody here that when challenged to be moved from what they've believed and been saved in and walked in and served God in, Lord, they won't be moved from that, that they'll be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. I pray that everything that has come against these children of God this morning, I pray that your power, O oh Lord, would fight the battle. You said the battle is the Lord's. God, you're the fighter of every battle for me. You're fighting for me right now. Your power's at work right now. And I thank you for that, God. And I give you the glory, and I give you the honor, and I give you the praise. I give you all the glory. God, every sickness, every disease, every infirmity that has come against children of God, I pray in Jesus' name that you give them deliverance from that right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you'll indulge me for just one minute, I want to go pray for somebody. The Lord told me not to dismiss till I did it. You pray while I go. I'm on my way. You just pray while I go. I said, you pray while I go. You pray while I go. Pat? There's a God in heaven, honey. I know you know. I'm here because of you. You're fighting a battle, ain't you? And I'm about won it. And you've about won it. Praise God. What, is the, what does the world and the physician say is wrong with you? Oh, a lot of things. A lot of things. You too. Well, um, she's had a fiscula and um, she's had to have all that removed. All of that removed. She went septic. She went septic. Went septic. And, um, the only thing that does work is her heart. Only thing working's your heart. That's right. Well, that's a good thing to have working. The only thing don't don't work about me is my heart. 
God, I take this precious mother, this saint of God by the hand. Your word said they shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. Your word says any sick among you call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. God, I pray that you touch Pat and raise her up for your glory and for your honor. I believe your word. Your word is true and obedience to your word. I lay my hands upon her and pray for her in Jesus' name. Be healed, Pat. In Jesus' name, be healed. Be healed. Thank you, God. I'm coming back, I promise. A little bit strange this morning, just a little. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for every benefit and blessing of this day. Now, I ask you now, oh God, to touch everyone in this room to walk in victory as we leave this house. And give us, oh Lord, a good day of fellowship and friendship with our, our neighbors and our family and our friends. And, oh Lord, we just ask you that we would be light and salt in this world for you. That's our prayer and dismissal. In Jesus' name, amen. And everybody else said amen. Amen. amen.